Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. In this episode, I'm interviewing Ray Rocha. Ray is a man who volunteered from a father's rights group on Facebook. I didn't know him at all other than that. I put out a little word. says, hey, who wants to talk about your stuff? And Ray volunteered. Uh, that's a very vulnerable thing to do when you don't know anything about to the guy who's going to interview you or anything else. Ray is a sales associate. He see, he sells janitorial supplies. He's an alcoholic. He's a father. He's a man who struggles just like the rest of us. But he runs deep. I, I found a lot of wisdom in Ray. And I found a man, an honest and earnest man, who's trying to make his way through life and has learned some things. And he's going to share those with us. Here's the interview. Tell me about you. Uh, what do you do for, for a living? My job is I, I sell janitorial supplies. Uh-huh. And I've been with the same company for 19 years. Yeah. What is it about uh, selling janitorial supplies that you like? Is it the being out uh, all the time? What is it that, uh, that is most rewarding to you? Well, I mean, the money doesn't suck. Uh-huh. But um, I, I really don't. I mean, I'm, I'm my business card says sales associate on it, and I don't feel like I'm selling anything. I, mean, I never have with this with this company. I feel like I'm helping people. You know, I go to uh, school districts or hospitals or different uh, facilities, and um, I feel like I'm solving problems for them. So um, I feel like I'm helping, like I'm doing good, and. Uh, so that that's the the main thing I like about it. I, I really do. I, as far as the flexibility of being a sales rep, that's that's great. Uh, with the thirteen year old daughter, I could take her to whatever event she needs to go to, or get her out of school, or whatever. I'm the uh, driver for all the kids, um, and anything else I have in life, the flexibility helps. Um, you got a thirteen year old daughter. Um, you have any other kids? Um, yeah, I do. I have a stepson uh, from my first wife, who's 25, and uh, he she came with him. So he, he had a dad, but his dad never participated in his life. So I was married to her for, or in a relationship with her for about seven years. From the, the my sons from about two to um, maybe uh, seven or eight. I was married to her for only two years of that, and that that went south, but. Um, you know, I had a conversation with the boy and I said, look, man, uh, you know, I, I'm divorcing your mom, but I'm not divorcing you. So if you, you know, if you still want me in your life, I'm, I will be hundred percent. He said, well, you're my dad. So yeah. So, um, he's 25 now and he's doing very well. Um, he's a good kid. And I have a 41 year old daughter from the way back and, uh, she's very successful and doing well in Los Angeles also. So. Yeah, kind of spread them out, spread them out a little bit. You did spread them out. I'm thinking 41, 25, and uh, 13. You said, yeah, that's uh, that's that's a spread. You, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm man enough to do a spread like that. Well, none of absolutely none of it was planned. Huh? Yeah, 
not no planning, but uh, definitely making the best out of all of it. Yeah. So tell me about your uh, your daughter, the thirteen year old. Um, what's what's she like? Well, she's a force of nature. That's for sure. Um, she's uh, she's intelligent. She's communicative. Um, she's super bright. She's a self starter. Um, she's very social. She has a very solid friend network. Um, and she's a really good kid, you know, she's beautiful. It's all get up, you know, she's just gorgeous, gorgeous young lady. And <clears throat> yeah, she's making her dad proud. So she's, she's a good, really good kid. That's awesome. Tell me, tell me a little bit about, about what it was like for you when you were her age, 13. Let's see. So 13 is eighth grade for most of us. Right. Uh -huh. so for me, I was, uh, I was um, already experimenting with uh, illicit substances um, down in Los Angeles. I was already uh, drinking alcohol. My family uh, life was a challenge. I had older brothers and sisters that uh, were doing the same things, and there's a lot of chaos in the house. My mom did the best she could. My dad did the best he could, but you know they were um, they were uh, alcoholics also. So um, it was it was a challenge. Um, so, uh, for me, I just, uh, hid in my room and played drums all the time. That's kind of was my outlet. Um, I don't remember much about school. Like, you know, uh, I think I have one friend from that time that is still in my life and that's, uh, only via Facebook mostly. Um, but, uh, it was a K it was chaos for sure. So do you, uh, blame your parents for your and your brothers and sisters, alcohol issues? No, none of those people ever poured a drink down my throat. <laughs> um, no, no, that was, uh, they had their, we all had our own individual demons and, uh, you know, um, the, uh, you know, if, if anything, the way, uh, my parents were when they got, uh, uh, drunk would be a, a reason to not drink alcohol. You know, they were, you know, once they started drinking, it was, you know, it was, it was a hell at the house, but um, you know, like most of us that are alcoholics, you know, if, when we start drinking, we're going to keep drinking regardless of the circumstances, you know, you don't have to have a challenging, uh, home life to become a, an alcoholic or you, you can have the best, you know, Brady Bunch life ever and still become an alcoholic if you're right. predisposed to that. Does that mean that you're an alcoholic? Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. How long have you been an alcoholic? Um, well, I've been an alcoholic probably from the age of 14 on, I've been a sober alcoholic, uh, since 1991. So. Dang, 30 years. 31. Got to get that extra year and you, you've earned it. Well, I just turned 31 in September. So yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, it's still <laughs> fresh and a big deal, right? Yeah. And I would have pegged you for 33. Tell me a story about a, a one of those moments where you were like, I got to have it. And and then you either succeeded or failed. Tell me, tell me about one of those moments. Well, I had a lot of those moments um, in the eighties where you know just just barely getting uh, keeping from being arrested or just barely um, uh, escaping trouble. Um, There's a lot of instances where I, I could have used that as a reason to maybe. Uh, look at my uh, addictive behavior, but I never did. I mean, it was always, you know, I was blamed for somebody, something or someone else for my, uh, for my issues when I was, when I was drinking. Um, 
But um, the last instance, which is the, the important one, is that, you know, I was back home at 30 years old, probably moved there when I was 29 to my mom's house, you know, where I grew up. And uh, I just was continued to drinking. And, um, you know, I had uh, all the friends around me were just basically losers like me, just, you know, still living at their parents' house and still drinking and what we had odd jobs or whatever, nothing successful. Um, but, you know, my mom came into my bedroom, which was the same bedroom that I, you know, grew up in. And uh, she just said something like, uh, you didn't turn out like I thought you'd turn out, you know. And um, that was, well, I've heard that, though. You know, you hear that your whole life. Oh, you have so much uh, potential. You know, that's just what we hear. You know, it's like and it doesn't mean anything because you know, I need a drink. Um, but it meant something that night. And um, so I, I just came out of my mouth like I don't even know why I said it, uh, Garth. But it came out like, well, if you go buy me some beer, I'll go to AA tomorrow. Like just out of nowhere, and keep in mind, like I had warrants out for for uh, for DUIs and and other things with the court. You know, I was definitely if, if I got pulled over, I was going to get you know, uh, I was going to get a free room and board. You know, yeah. Um. So like my mom, you know, she went and got some beer and brought it back in the room, brought it back in the house, and she threw it in the bedroom. And she goes, "Here's your beer, asshole." And I was like, "Oh, you know, I don't remember at that point. I don't remember telling her that, but." The next day, um, which was September 22nd, uh, 1991, that Sunday, I, I went to an AA meeting and I called up the Central Office uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and um, they told me where a meeting was and I went. And um, you know, I've never had a drink since, that was it. I don't know what happened at that meeting because I, I might've still been a little loopy, but I just decided to go to meetings. And, you know, many of us, there's many sober alcoholic men and, and um, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, you have to do certain things. You know, you want to work your steps and get in, get a sponsor, do all, all the things that encompass that program. And I just decided to do them. Like, I didn't have any, like, I'm going to stay sober forever. None of that crap. I just thought I'd try it out. I'm going to try it out. And like, you know, I'm still trying it out. It seems to be working. You know, I got pretty good life because of that 31 years later you're still trying it out i think it's yeah. ironic that uh that your mom throwing beer at you and saying here's your beer asshole was the turning point crazy yeah everybody has a different story um you know in aa you have like what it was like uh what happened and what it's like now you know the what it was like is fairly common we're all drunken assholes and make you know a bunch of wreckage in our past and hurt people and all that and then for me, what happened was that, you know, my mom throwing that beer in the room and, you know, by this time she's, she'd quit drinking. She just stopped on her own. So she just, you know, that happened. And I, I, um, you know, I don't really know. I just went to a meeting and that was it. So it's pretty, I mean, thank God. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I guess the justification that I could hear someone else say is, well, I, uh, you know, I'll go to that AA meeting, but that doesn't mean x y or z and so i am not going to go because it's not worth it for you it was worth it it was definitely worth it you know what's weird is i, I was AA ignorant i mean i had a dui i was supposed to go to aa you know the sentence and when i got that dui i was like i got the sentence to go i was like aa that's for losers i'm never gonna go you know it's like forget <laughs> that but i didn't know anything about AA, um which was probably good i was completely AA ignorant when i went into the meeting i didn't know what to expect you know i didn't know anything about any of the uh 
the customs or the format or anything like that. I just kind of showed up and, you know, here we are. 31 years later, how often do you still go to those meetings? I go to, um, I go to AA meetings probably about three to five times a month. I don't go very much, but what I do do is I'm involved in a pro, an, an offshoot of Alcoholics Anonymous called Hospitals and Institutions. And Hospitals and Institutions is, um, what we do is we take AA meetings to people who can't get to meetings. So these are the incarcerated, these are the mentally ill, these are people who are in jail or prisons or things like that. So we go in and we take meetings to those guys. And I've been doing that for 25 years. And that's where I get my, you know, that's where I get my mojo. I love that. I love trying to help people that uh, maybe need the help, but can't get out to get it. Does that uh, strengthen you to be the leader of uh, those kind of groups? Um, you know, the, the, the sponsors I've had in the past did that. And they told me, you know, they suggested, you know, Hey, if you, the people who do hospitals and institutions work, um, it's you do it. You know, you don't. You may not ever see those guys again. Like they might, you know, they get out of prison, they get out of jail. You never see them again. You ever see them in the area? I don't know. But it's like it's purely giving, um, because I, I can't. You know, I, I'll know if I don't see them again. There's not much they could do for me. But the hidden gem in the whole thing is by helping them anonymously or however i'm helping myself so right you know and we all need a mission and a purpose and yeah. you know i like to think at this stage in my life that this particular podcast is my purpose what's your purpose right now i think it's probably being uh the best husband and father i could be at this time i think that's pretty much it that's 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 and obviously staying sober but those those three things are that that, that those are the most important things in my life. Okay. Husband and father. Tell me about your, uh, your woman. She, uh, how many times does she throw beer at you and tell you you're an asshole? She hasn't done that yet. My wife is, uh, she's awesome. I mean, she, she's, uh, she's a stepmother to my daughter. Uh-huh. Um, uh, we've been together for like 12 years and married for five. And uh, she's just rock solid woman. Man. I mean, she's just, she's perfect. What? I'm married to one of those. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what's wrong with her. I think she's got bad eyesight, but she keeps I, me around for some reason. What? Uh, what's her one greatest quality? Uh, patience. Okay. Yeah, she's patient. You know, I'm. I'm not the easiest person, and uh, she just lets me do whatever I need to do. You know, doesn't really question much, and um, you know, I'm home for dinner, and you know, she's she's. Um, yeah, and I think it's acceptance, you know what I mean? Like I, I come to her and I got a child and, and uh, I'm a sober alcoholic and, you know, she's like, yeah, I, you know, there's, a, there's enough of me to, for her to want to be around um, regardless of anything else. And she, so she's, um, you know, she's just solid. She's just a solid uh, road dog for me, man, big time. Nice. What's the one thing that she does for you that you need the most? Um, availability. Uh -huh. She's always there when I need her. No matter what it is, she's a hundred percent there. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. That's hard to do too. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm talking emotionally. I'm talking physically. I'm talking uh, spiritually. I mean, she's just she's just rock solid, best friend kind of type thing. And you know, I couldn't ask for more. Oh wow. Okay. So, and that's something that a lot of us guys are completely without is somebody that uh, to be there 
emotionally and spiritually and all that. You're, let's say you, you feel like you just have this crazy craving and you need a vodka. Uh, is she the person you go to for that? Yeah, she would. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would go to her for advice, like, because if it was alcohol related, I'd probably go to my sponsor. But I would definitely bring her in the loop about what's going on. And uh-huh. uh, if she had some advice for me, I would definitely listen. Um, but, um, you know, when it comes to the drinking and stuff, you know, obviously a, a sober alcoholic, we, just, we hit up our sponsors pretty much. Right. Quickly. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think it's helpful that you've got your sponsor because if, you know, then you, you do have somebody to talk to in that category. Let's bring you back in time to when you were married to a woman who was much less awesome. Okay. And uh, you're still an alcoholic and you still got your sponsor and you're thinking of a divorce because things are not good. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I could just give you my experience on that. Cause yeah, you've been there. I've been there. So I married my son's mother in 2003. Okay. And, um, you know, she was, had, came with all the bells and whistles. She was, you know, beautiful woman, la la la, came with the son. Um, but about almost exactly two two years in, maybe a little bit under two years in, you know, she got she got a little the things kind of different. And um I had uh helped her get through college and financially and obviously supporting and and, and babysitting and all that with the but the, the boy, you know, well right. wasn't really babysitting because my son, but you know. Um and then she wanted to go to uh, take a trip to celebrate her graduation. Right. When she went to celebrate uh, the trip for graduation, uh, she met a dude on this vacation that I paid for. Nice. So that was exciting. But I didn't know it at the time. I just know things are weird at the house when she got back. This is fucking weird, man. And uh, so I did a little detective work and I found out that there was some communications with the uh, a person in the area code where she went and I was like, all right. So then I confronted her on it and um, keep in mind, like I've been, I've been through breakups before I've been through many girlfriend breakups throughout the years. Right. I mean, dozens, dozens. And um, they said, they all suck, but this is, I, I, you know, I waited a long time to get married. I was in my, uh, I was in my, my late forties, you know, uh-huh. It was like I, I was never going to be married. I was just going to have all these girlfriends. I was going to be fun. But so I married this person. So I thought it was forever. I was down for that, you know. So when I found out about the dude, um, I was completely blindsided and crushed, like emotionally. Like, what? Wait a minute, me? Like, do you know who I am? You know, it was like WTF. Like, I, I couldn't fathom that. Like, I couldn't get it. And I'm stuff like that's happened to me before, but I've never been married to it. It's like girlfriend stuff, which is totally different. It's a different level for me. Maybe right. it's, so it was uh it was super painful. So I was uh and um I couldn't get a hold of my sponsor um because he was uh whatever he was doing, he was busy. But I got a hold of another guy in uh, in AA. Um and I met him in the morning. I met him. He goes, meet me at this restaurant right now. Just drive over there. So I met him and I was like, just pouring my guts out. And he's like, he says, you know what you need? I go, no, I don't. He goes, you may need, you need some therapy. And have you been to therapy before? I'm like, 
therapy. That's nope. for losers. Well, you know, it's like I never, you know, I never considered it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, and like AA this, was for losers. You talk to this woman, you know, he sent me, and he, you know, where I live, there's therapists, but they're all busy. Like they're they like so, but this person got me in, and uh, what sucked is like I found out my I found out my wife's cheating on me, and then I got I got to go perform a, like two shows like not out of town, but far enough away. And I'm like, dude, I didn't want to be away from home. You know what I mean? It was like, I had to go perform for, you know, hundreds of people playing drums and like, try to be happy about it. I I wasn't happy about it, man. I was freaking miserable, you know? Um, But, you know, show must go on as everybody says. So they did. Um, So then I'm like, I got my sponsor involved. I got a a couple of close friends involved. And like, I'm just a mess. Like I am an emotional man. I got my mom involved. I'm I'm leaning on everybody that's close to me. And I am like, I'm miserable. And nobody's ever seen me like this. Cause I'm, you know, I I'm Ray Rocha, man. I mean, this shit doesn't, you know, he's, he's the solid emotional rock that we all go to. And I'm like, I'm a mess. Um, So you've got, uh, you got friends that go to you and it sounds like you've got friends that you can go to. You, uh, you went to your sponsor and that's always helpful, but it sounds like you also had friends where you felt like you were able to go to them and say, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get a divorce. I leaned hard on some friends, you know, and, and, um, they were really helpful. You know, these guys, some of these guys were married, some of them were not married, you know, but, um, and, 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 you know, the thing that I, that I've, really realized i didn't get a lot of advice like i didn't get the you know but basically i got like the the main advice was try not to make it worse you know like just try not to make it worse because you know you want to blow up and f you and whatever so i did that but mainly the 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 thing that was important for me they just listened like they just listened and gave me hugs and said you know you're you're gonna be all right it's gonna be okay just don't make it worse and just do what's right in front of you, like whatever the next thing is. I'm like, well, what does that mean? I go, well, if your uh, if your son needs to eat, you're gonna make him something to eat. If you need to go to work, you're gonna get up and go to work. You're gonna, you know, just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. And um, you know, and a alcoholics anonymous is a lot of uh, higher power, and there's a lot of prayer and spirituality involved. So I was, I've always done that, so I continue to do that. But I was uh, the therapy helped out immensely. And, um, what I'm seeing is, um, you know, for, for a while. So let's start with you being an alcoholic. Then you marry the woman who is like going to be your forever woman. And she levels you. And I'm speaking through my own brain because this is what I would do to myself. I, um, is what I have done to myself. I might as well just go drive off a cliff. Did that moment ever happen to you? No, uh, that that kind of thinking doesn't. I, I don't get that. I get uh, um, solution oriented. Like, what do I have to do to? And this could this could involve a bunch of things. It could be talking to people. It could be going for walks. It could be going to the gym. It could be playing my drums. It could be a bunch of things. Like, like, what do I need to do to make myself? feel better to make myself i'm gonna say whole again but to make just to to be able to live with this emotional craziness that i'm feeling you know you know you get that hole in your stomach man and it's like you, well nothing really fills it you know it's like you just mm. um 
I did all those things. I just, I stayed, I stayed in contact with the friends, you know, and then, um, you know, they kept me busy, you know, they, I mean, I, I had to live with this person for like another few months before I could get them out and divorce them. You know, it was like that, that was odd, uh-huh. but, um, the support from my friends and from the, uh, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the, the therapy slow, you know, we're talking, we're talking months, maybe a year kind of just made me feel better, but it, it, it wasn't, a, it was not an inside job, you know, it wasn't like just me by myself bearing through it. I you needed the support done. of a, a bunch of network. The network was, you know, it was big and diverse, you know. Yeah, you're. I think you're uh, both lucky and blessed because of the network you've described. You know, you got a lot of dudes that uh, that were there and willing to help you. And based on the interviews and personal experience, uh, the rest of us really have one if we're lucky, and usually zero people that we'll go to with uh, with the deep, dark, uh, sad sludge that happens in life. Yeah, and I, I'm I've I have that inclination, like I can fix it, you know, I can, uh-huh. I can get through this. This, this, of course I can. I'm a man, and um, I can handle this. And men fix, and, and and you fixed it. Yeah, and I there was no this was beyond beyond anything that I could even begin to fix, you know, and it, it was uh, you know, I wasn't. There was a little bit of fear involved, you know, because we, you're going to have your best friend who knows you as this drummer and whatever, dude. And and, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, I'm like crawling to emotionally crawling to the guy and letting it out. And the, the scary part is the letting it out part. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, dude, I need help. Like, please, I need help. Um, what I found is that. I got help, you know what I mean? If I, if I can, if I get the message out to my friends or to whomever that a lot of people and surprisingly people that maybe wouldn't think of right away were willing to help because they generally care. You know, they generally care about, about us. You know, like if, I mean, the old suggestion I have is if, you, if you're fearful of asking for help, I mean, Getting past that's key because the surprising part is people want to help. People do want to help. And, you know, I was talking to you before we started uh, recording this podcast about my son uh, has a friend who um, recently committed suicide. He went down to Lake Powell and hung himself from, from the uh, houseboat. And here's a guy who I don't know anything about his marriage. I, I've met the guy because I went and bought some stuff from his store. I don't remember what he was, but uh, whatever his issues were, he had money. Uh, that wasn't it. Um, and he was former military, and so he probably has some of that PTSD. Interestingly enough, and as a sidelight, I understand that a lot of former military people, if they commit suicide, it won't be with a gun. And that's a whole different subject to uh, to, to to look at. But uh, Corey, my son, he he told me, you know, if the dude had issues. If he would have just come to me, I would have loved to have been there for him. 
that's the reason I'm uh, I'm telling this story is, you know, we we all like to think that we're alone and that we're problem solvers. We can handle anything. And then I've been in that place where it's like, oh, this is above my head. And I thought I was a problem solver, but this one, I can't. And then most of us have or give ourselves nobody. And it sounds like you, you were, you did better than that. You, you were a drummer. Sounds like maybe the guy that you went to was in your band. No, those band guys kind of flighty, man. No, I, uh, you know, I, the man I worked for is one of my best friends. Um, I had one of the guys that I, I mean, I, I know their names, but I had another guy that I met at my like second or third AA meeting. And we're still friends. And both of, both of us, we kind of staggered our marriage and divorces, you know, like, I need help and he's doing good. So he me. And then he's going through his divorce and I help, you know? So, um, uh, in my, uh, you know, my mom is very supportive to the whole thing. You know, she was, she was solid. And, um, and then the therapist and the, and my, uh, my sponsor, it was, it was a, it's maybe about six or seven people who were just really on the phone and, you know, dude, you know, what do you need? You know, did you eat today? Did you, did you, what did you eat today? You know, or stuff like that. You know, this it was uh, it was pretty rough, but you know, we I it passed. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I never wanted to be a divorced guy. I wanted, you know, I never wanted to to do that. And but it 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 passed. You know, and then the, here I am now. You know, now my second wife is, you know, obviously an upgrade. Oh, very much an upgrade. Well, I don't know if I uh, if I was lucky or what it was, but uh, when I remarried, I I feel like I knew what I wanted. Uh, in my case, I just wanted to be loved, and I found that, and it worked. And my goodness, that that's a she's that's a, great. She's a right perfect on. woman. Right on. So uh, you mentioned having those moments where you're you've got emptiness in the gut. And, you know, and I've, I've been there too, but, uh, was that your lowest moment? What was your lowest moment in your life? Well, the, that, that was one, I, I there's three, I have three, uh, moments, you know, in my, in 1984, I was still drinking and, uh, my dad was dying of cancer and, and uh, he died at home with the job. I had moved out of that lived with him in Hollywood. And he died at home with the, you know, I get to watch him take his last breath, which was a gift. I didn't realize it at the time because I was drunk. Mm-hmm. But that was low. Um, but back then I had no coping skills except drugs and alcohol. So that from, you know, 84 to when I got sober was pretty much dark. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it wasn't my dad's fault. I mean, he cancer, he died. I just didn't know. I didn't know. You know, I drank over that for years. Like, oh, poor me, my dad died. You know, it was a good excuse to get drunk. Um, us alcoholics are always looking for an excuse, you know. Uh-huh. The other, the other uh, second darkest was that divorce with my first wife. That whole situation there, um, and then the third was when my mom passed, which was in 2013, and that was the same thing. You know, I was I was there for her to watch her take her last breath at my sister's house, and um, that was that was really rough. Um, but you know, I had I had gone through that those feelings with my dad drunk and I was less than helpful to anybody who needed, uh, needed me. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, at the point that you had nothing to give, you were just a taker. So compared to when my mom passed, where now I've been sober, what, 2013, I think I had uh, 20 years or something. And uh, I was able to be the helpful person. I was able to be the solid, uh, grounded, uh, helpful uh, person in that situation. So it was like, you know, I had the, both sides of that. It's like, I'm not, I'm absolutely not going to do what I did last time, you know? Right. So those three are probably the pretty darkest times. Of those, I think I'm, I'm, I think I know which one of those you're going to say was probably hardest. I'm guessing it was probably harder for you to see your mom go because you didn't have the, uh, the alcohol to turn to, but which of those three was, was hardest? you um honestly it was the divorce and um because that was a blind side you know my mom was dying and that was i kind of there was expectations there my dad had cancer for a year so i both of those uh, the one that and i forgot there's a fourth one too but the blindsidedness of the that divorce was was that that one probably is a little bit higher you know um but the fourth one which is the, you know the most important really is that when my daughter's uh mother decided to take her out of state and uh that whole stretch of time there where you know i had to go to court and fight and all that and that emotionalness then when i'm watching my daughter get on a plane and go to a different state and not really knowing when i'm going to see her again that was pretty brutal Oh man, yeah, I can imagine the uh, the nuclear bombs that were used. That was rough during that period. Which one would you say was lower then of those of those two moments? Uh, well, the lower was the daughter. I'm sure the daughter leaving was that was you know that was that was tough. It was uh, 2011. Yeah, and so your daughter would have been three ish. Yeah. Well, what happened was, you know, she was a surprise to the both of us. And I was uh-huh. going to try and make her my my. I had no emotional ties to the her mother anymore, you know. Right at the time of her birth, and and you know, I went through all the went through the, all the prenatal stuff that the co-parent would do. I did all that, you know, all the OBGYN stuff. I did all that with all the meetings and all the ultrasounds and all that. You know, I was invested in my daughter uh, before she was born. And then, you know, Al Pops is a beautiful, you know, girl and, you know, we're co-parenting as best we can in my house. And she's just, it, it is, it is less than ideal, but I'm ready to sacrifice anything for my daughter. Like, okay, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I could live weird for a while, uh, you know, as long as I could be near and help raise my daughter. Like I'm, I'm down for weird, but it, because weird's not going to trump watching baby take her first steps, you know, it just doesn't. So. You know, and then behind my back, she had been making plans to to move out of state. And, you know, had already rented an apartment, had a job. She had uh, the uh, daughter's mother had uh, family there too, so there she had a, she had a place to go that was going to help her. And of course, you know, talking trash about me, what a loser I am, blah blah blah. And so when I found out that she was uh, had planned to move, you know, I, I I was out of my mind. You know, I didn't know what to do, and. Um, my therapist told me to get a lawyer. Like you need to get a lawyer and just let this talk to them. See, so I did that. And 
you know, I'm out of my realm. I'm a musician. I'm a, I'm a salesperson. I'm not, I don't know anything about the family courts or anything like that. You know, I learned a lot in the seven years I've been fighting, but um, it was an uphill struggle. I mean, they, they, they let her go. They kept her here for another two months while the court was going through, but they let her go. You know, that was, that was brutal. What state was, did she move to? Uh, Texas. Texas. So uh, she's moving from California to Texas. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you're all about your daughter and she's your life. She's your purpose. And here goes the crazy ex and she's completely ripping your daughter away from your life. That, yeah. That had to been. That was brutal. Um, you know, but again, um, I tried to do what was suggested as the next, the next important thing. Like, okay. So the way the paperwork read is that I could go to Texas whenever I want with two weeks notice. And, uh, my daughter's mother has to has to give me as much time as I'm there for with, with my daughter uninterrupted. So Mr. Rocha, I'm like, okay. So I found a rental house in Texas. Right. Near where they moved at the time. She had my the daughter's mother ended up moving 10 times. I mean, she's just not stable, but at the time. I found a place that was within a couple of miles of where they were currently living. I rented it over the phone, rented it online, you know, settlement on site unseen and just started saving money and going to Texas, saving money and going to Texas. So I had to pay for everything, every flight, everything like that. There was no help from the, the mother. Um, and when, when my daughter would come to California, there was no help from her either. She refused to refuse to help with the pay. She was supposed to pay half the flights, or whatever. Never saw a penny. Um, so I just put all my extra money, completely ran through my savings to just go back and forth and see my daughter in Texas. You know, and I would get like you know, since I'm a sales rep and I'm, I'm 100% commission based. For me, I was fortunate because as long as my numbers were good, there was no oversight about where I was and all that, you know, I mean, obviously I've told everybody where I was, but there was no concern like, Hey man, you know, you're, you're going backwards on your, on your uh, sales here. I, that never happened. I was always just succeeding and doing well, <clears throat> which was good because I had to pay for a lot of freaking flights to Texas. I went to Texas about 24 times in six years. Yeah, that's, and so that's four times a year. That's flights. That's the, uh, the rental you got to keep. And what I found uh, when I was doing my own divorce is that uh, my kids, they had a life at the ex-wife's house. You know, I let the ex-wife have the house. And so they had friends there. They had things they were comfortable with. They had, uh, you know, the games or whatever that, uh, that were normal for them. And then, uh, and then they come to my little apartment. It's a one-bedroom apartment. There's a small living room, and they've got nothing. And they're like, well, what are we going to do when we're with you? You're boring. Uh, I would imagine it was the same for you. Uh, You go to Texas. You've got your daughter for a week or whatever, and she goes, well, you know, now I'm with you. Now what? And and then you kind of have to become the Disneyland dad and spend a bunch of money that you don't have. Well, keep in mind she was from – Two years to eight years. Uh-huh. 
so I went there during school when she started was at school and I would take her to school and then wait her out and, you know, go do whatever, some, something in Texas for six hours and then pick her up from school. So I, I went, there was no, you know, I didn't just, I went whenever I could. And since I, the, the way the documents read, you know, she couldn't, I couldn't be denied any visits, you know, as long as I gave her the proper notice that I go to your house, I'll pick up the kid. You know, I was like, there's no, you can't say no. What I did was I just, I was, I, we were outdoors all the time. We, uh-huh. we were outdoors. We're going to go hiking. We're going to go walking. We're going to go fishing. I mean, I just, I kept it because that stuff's cheap. <laughs> you know, it's like you go for a walk on a trail. It doesn't cost a penny. You know, you got to buy some waters and take your time, you know? So right. I just kept her busy doing stuff. And daughter's mother ended up being in a relationship with a, with a dude and they lived out in the boondocks. So they weren't in like a, a setting where there's a lot of houses nearby where she had a lot of friends nearby. So I didn't have to compete with the friends because they didn't really have it just because of geography. Um, and I still took her to school. So when dad came to town, um, I just had all kinds of things planned. Like, I mean, it wasn't necessarily financially financial things. It was just, well, what, what do we do with that? We're going to go hike over here. We're going to go fishing over here. You know, I just, I just kept her busy. And, um, what that did was it, it and, the, and the commitment to going, you know, and uh, so my relationship her was strong, you know, we had a, we had a really tight relationship. She's daddy's girl. And, um, you know, when it came, when it came time to, when her mother kind of dropped the parenting ball as best I, best I could say it. And I started fighting for custody. Um, I had a strong relationship with my daughter already, you know, that happened, started when she was, uh, seven and eight, eight and nine, I should say, when she when I started to really go for custody. I had been to court five other times, just trying to get more time. I want longer summer instead of two weeks. You know, I want uh, I want her, I wanted her in California more. Um, I had to fight for all that, and as any man will tell you in family court. You know, it's an uphill fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Theoretically, the courts uh, look at men and women as fifty fifty, but the reality is, men rarely win yeah I'm, I'm thinking one benefit of uh of that very poor situation is that your daughter knows that you will kill yourself and you know save money left and right so that you can fly halfway across the country for her yeah and you know um garth sometimes you know the actions speak louder than the words and what i mean in this particular instance is that Although my daughter's mother had family there, that family witnessed my commitment. They saw to the lengths that I would go to keep a relationship with my daughter. And through years of that, when it came time to uh, go for custody, they, they, came over to my side of the fence and actually came to court and testified for me against their own uh, daughter and uh, sister. Wow. Sometimes, sometimes doing the right thing, you do it because you want to do it. You do it. But there's like, that's a side benefit of that, that I never saw coming. I was. Well, I saw that. I saw that too. You know, when I did the, the divorce, I was painted very dark. And I could argue with it, but those are just words, and words mean nothing if you're Satan. Uh, <laughs> exactly. 
So uh, my wife just told me, you know, wait it out. It'll be, it'll be years, but uh, they'll, they'll see what's going on at some point. And, you know, it won't be today. It won't be next week, but it'll come. And uh, I believe that, that that has occurred. Definitely. So you said it sounded like your lowest moment was the, was the day that you found out that uh, your, your daughter was being ripped away from you. At least that's what it felt like. Yep. Here's my question. Why was that a gift and a blessing for you? It made me hyper-focused on what was important in my life, which was her. So it, it made her, although I have all these, uh, have all these other things in my life, you know, relationship with my then girlfriend, my wife, um, my band, my job, um, my friend network, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it hyper-focused me on what's, what do I want to do with her? Um, and that allowed me to take the necessary actions to keep that relationship, uh, which looking down the road, I couldn't see it at the time allowed me to end up having custody of her living with me in California. It made it pain, not painfully, it made it obvious that my role as the father of this daughter was more important than the most important else. thing. Probably besides my sobriety, because without that, I got nothing. But it, it really just came to the top of the heap and said, look, dude, this is what you're living for. Um, through, through that pain, I got that focus. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and I think it uh, showed you some things and I think it showed your daughter some things. Um, again, before we got started, we, I asked you about uh, your daughter, but let's, let's tell these, uh, these million guys who are listening, let's tell them, uh, describe your daughter for me again. Well, she's 13. Um, she's like five foot. I don't even know. It's like six. She's this giant kid. Um, and she's just got a super strong friend network. She's in her fourth year of school in my area, in the, in the school district that she's been. So she's got a bunch of friends, got a great friend network. She's definitely, um, plugged in here big time. She does uh. great grades, you know, no discipline problems at all. Um, and, uh, you know, with the support of my wife, I mean, we're, we feel like we're raising a pretty good kid, you know, and, and beautiful well-adjusted friends grades yeah she's, she's got it and she has been through um some ugliness well yeah when she was with her mother there were some things going on there that were not healthy um it's, looking back it's somewhat humorous but when i won custody in court that day everybody went in judge was awarding me custody everybody in the courtroom was crying i'm talking bailiff uh, court reporter my wife myself my lawyer the only person who wasn't was the judge and when i took so when i told um my daughter that the next day that she was already here for the summer she was in california for the summer already so when i um when I told her that there was a big struggle to who's going to tell her. And I'm like, well, I'm in charge now. So I'm going to tell her. But anyway, she asked all these questions like, can I have a cat? 
What, uh, can I decorate my bedroom? All these questions, like just real day-to-day stuff. Uh-huh. And the last question, she goes, oh, yeah, dad. I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, when do I get to see my mom next? That was the last question. Like, that wasn't, like, in the front, like, when am I going to see my mom? I'm going to miss my mom. It was the last thing. And um, I told her, this is when you're going to. She said, okay. And that was it. So, you know, her, she, she made it easy, too, for the big change. You know, I mean, she made it easy for me as a dad to, like, you know, if I had to fight, fight her on that emotionally, that would have been a struggle. That would have been a struggle. Yeah, if she had wanted to stay with her mom, that would have been difficult. I think the difference is that she knew how much she had sacrificed. Well, and, you know, at at that age, I don't don't know if she was aware of the sacrifice, uh, maybe she was, but she had an intuitiveness about what is safe and what is uh, uh, stable. Right. And I, you know, I'm in the same house. She's had the same room for, you know, since she was born. Everything's same here. You know, it's like over there, they moved like a bunch of times. There's never any stability. Men coming and going, it's a mess. Um, so I think maybe that was part of it too. Well, whatever your uh, secret sauce is, and I think I have some, some ideas, but uh, you were able to create a stable, happy, loving, successful, capable kid in the midst of uh of a war zone and uh you know that that says some things uh that it gives the rest of us hope i know that uh when i was um when i was considering my divorce i was talking to somebody over the internet i was playing internet spades and i developed a couple of relationships uh with with random people and one of them i said you know i told them i'm thinking of doing this divorce and and in this case, it was a she. She goes, well, if you can if you can keep the kids out of the war zone, you'll be much better off. And I thought, well, I can do that. And that's not how it turned out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, um, you did it different and better than me. So congratulations on that. I think we can all take some uh, some lessons from you on how it gets done. You have talked about how how that lowest moment was a blessing for you you know it's it's amazing to me ray that um that is a question that you that i would expect to be impossible that that that's a loser question you know i i ask guys what their lowest moment is and then i ask them why it was a blessing for them and and my first thought is why would you ask a crazy stupid question like that because nobody's going to be able to answer that but the answer is always very inspiring and yours is as well you know, you, you, you said to your lowest moment that that's when you became crystal clear on what was important to you and, and it focused your life. Absolutely. Yeah, I, and I think that's uh, so admirable. Um, let's take, um, you know, I'm 62. Uh, how old are you? 61. 61. Oh, you're a spring chicken then. Um, let's go you back to your lowest moment when your daughter is about to be ripped away from you and you don't know if or how often you'll ever see her again. She's your center and your soul and your meaning and purpose. And, and now somebody's telling you kiss her goodbye. Uh, what are you going to tell the, uh, the, the Ray of 
a few years previous, uh, you got a time machine, you, you, you're going back to him. What are you going to tell that guy? Let's go up back then. Um, because I think you probably had all the tools then that you have now, which is why you succeeded. Let's go you back to being um, the teenage alcoholic. Well, I would tell him that uh, don't be a victim. Interesting. I say, you're not a victim here, you know, uh, because for a long time I thought that, you know, I, I was a vi I was victimized by my dad getting cancer and dying. Uh, you know, if you get, if I think that way, that that makes it about me, and it's not about me. Um, my dad had a timetable, and that, that that when it was time for him to go, he went. It had nothing to do with me. Um, but I ran I ran as a victim for a few years. So I'm telling myself, dude, don't be a victim over this, over that, and um, it had nothing to do with you. Um, I would also tell that dude that um, no matter how much um, booze and dope that you do, um, that's not the answer um, to deal with the feelings that you're having. You know, the answer to deal with the feelings that you're having is to try to um, try to talk to somebody. I wrote a lot of letters to my dad. Um, uh, I wrote a lot of letters to myself as that kid, as that guy, when I was, when I got sober, um, I would tell that dude, um, that you're 24, you're 24 years old. You have a lot of life ahead of you. You, you have a lot of life ahead of you and great things are going to happen for you. Just be ready. I would tell that dude that too. And be ready means don't be an alcoholic what does be ready mean well be ready can mean a bunch of things Garth. it means uh it means be optimistic uh-huh uh to to a door opening that you may not think you want to go through or need to go through uh it would it means um don't be rigid you know don't be stuck in your ways it, uh, a good change great change could happen it could come in many forms be ready um I would say, uh, and I would also tell like that that person like what you're going through may be able to help someone else down the road, and that that has happened also. So, I would, that, those are a few things I tell that guy. And I yeah, freaking slap him. Slap him. <laughs> you throw a beer at him and tell him he's an asshole, dude. Well, you know, I, I ran on those feelings for six years after that. You know what I mean? Like it took me that, you know, finally it, it changed. Yeah. And it changed. What, what was the switch that got flipped? Was it your mom throwing beer at you? Probably so. I mean, just going to that first meeting, you know, I went to that first meeting and, and uh, like I thought, like I said, you know, I, I did never plan on being the sober guy. The sober guy's a loser. I never plan on being that guy. I, just was not in my playbook, man. I was just going to party hardy and, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, um, but I think just going to that meeting, however I got there, you know, that, that I went and uh, continued to go, you know, like I said, I'd say that I, I, never, I don't tell people I'm never going to drink again. I, I, I don't know. I just going to keep doing what I was doing to get here and I'll probably be okay. 
Yeah, it's interesting. What I've heard you say is that uh, sober guys are losers. Guys who go to AA are losers. Guys who go to uh, psychiatrists, you didn't say this directly, but I'm choosing to interpret that way. They're losers. Let's be losers. Let's just be losers and do the right thing. Dude, asking for help is never in, never, where I grew up, uh, similarly to many men, you just didn't ask for help. And um, I did not ask for help um, until it, for emotional help or support. Uh-huh. Until, I mean, I asked for money plenty of times, right? But um, until I was like sober and knew that, and someone someone had to tell me that that's okay. Some someone had to tell me it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for emotional support. It's okay to share your feelings. You're not going to get chastised or whatever. People want to help. I had to, that that wasn't in my learning playbook in high school or in my 20s. Nobody nobody told me that, you know. I had to go to like, I mean, I have to go to AA to find this out. Okay, fine. But not everybody needs AA. And for those dudes, it's like, dude, it's okay to ask. I mean, you know, we're, we need help. Yeah, I think the losers are the guys who are alcoholics and uh, and know they can't fix it themselves, and they are too afraid or too whatever to uh, to be willing to to admit that they need to go to AA. Those are the losers for me. Yeah, I mean, they've just made their life a little more challenging. You know, that's all, that's all. You just you just made the life harder. Yeah, know? but we don't know that while we're drinking. We yeah, we we're okay because we all need our life to be harder, right? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> So let's, uh, you and I have been uh, best friends for thousands of years. Uh, tell me, tell, let's, let's briefly describe how, how I uh, got to know you and how long I've, how long I've known you. Well, thousands of years. <laughs> and uh, how do we get to know each other after thousands of years? I would say we met uh, via um, the internet yeah father's rights group for the father's rights group and i would say that um it doesn't it doesn't matter how you meet people uh-huh. is that if you meet good people they're good people and that i would be grateful for having you in my life for that time yeah so uh yeah we we met in that group and you indicated an interest to do this interview and I met you at the same, uh, you know, I, I met you an hour ago when you came on this, when this, when you came on this zoom and, um, you've, you've got a lot, you know, I, I, you've got a lot to teach all of us, including me. I realized that if I would have been as dedicated to my daughters as you, my life would have been easier as well. So thank you. Right on. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Hey, thank you for listening to this Manalizing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalizing. Manalizing Manalizing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalizing.com.
Thank you.